Welcome to the Powered by Age, Age-Friendly City Zoomcast, reality-style podcast. We are movers and shakers, shaking up the old notion of silent, helpless, invisible seniors. This is a new series of podcasts funded by the City of Vancouver and the 411 Senior Center Society. As PBA AFC ambassadors, we raise awareness, share our original stories and poems, inform, advocate, and involve seniors in discussing important social issues. In short, these podcasts will help us, you, in creating an age-friendly city for Vancouver today, tomorrow the world. You can hear us everywhere podcasts are heard. Hello and welcome to Powered by Age. This is October the 15th, midpoint of the month. And today we're having a special show on the why, when, and hows of voting. We have uh, two special guests, Gundram Langoff, who is a longtime activist for social and economic justice. Uh, She's been active in Costco as a previous president. And recently she, well, throughout her term, she's met with provincial politicians on issues that range as wide as getting uh, changes in the uh, tickets <laughs> by the licensing for seniors to health care and housing. Uh, she understands the impact that governments can have on the lives of seniors, so she'll be facilitating, presenting uh, part of our discussion. And then we have Stuart Alcott, who is a board member and the past president of the 401 Senior Center. He's one of the driving forces in assisting the 401 Center in getting a new building, and he's active on a number of board committees. Prior to his retirement, he was a social worker and the executive director of the BC Association of Social Workers. So they're going to present some of their perspective on the whys of voting, and we'll be welcoming your points, comments as we go along. But one of the things we do when we first start is just have uh, the others give a 15 minutes of, (laughs) 15 seconds of fame self-intro, starting with Chris. I, I'm Chris Morrissey, and I, I participate in Quirky, the Queer Imaging and Writing Collective for Elders. And I spend, um, I used to spend, before this damn virus, I used to spend time at Britannia Community Center. And I have been uh, previously on the Seniors Advisory Committee for the City of Vancouver, which is where Goodwin and I met before. Joel? Uh, I'm Joel. I'm uh, one of the co-conspirators at Podstream uh, that's helped uh, get this thing up and going. And I, Luke and I have been kind of working on some of the technical stuff around these things. And I've made some interesting connections in regards to where this could go. And I might even have a guest speaker for that for a future show. Wonderful. Neil? Good morning. Oh, I guess it's afternoon. Uh, my name is Neil Ryan. Uh, I'm a writer of poetry and short stories. And uh, I'm a senior, but I don't participate in anything to do with seniors. Not not because I'm unfriendly, but uh, I, I'm still thinking that I'm only 47. So, hello to all. Uh, I'm a little slow today. We drove in from Revelstoke last night. Uh, we had gone to Banff for the weekend, and uh, that was 
that was a real long drive. So glad to be home. And uh, we ran into snow like you wouldn't believe. <laughs> so we're and rain and uh, had a wonderful weekend, four day weekend. It's wonderful. Uh, Leslie? Yes, I'm uh, Leslie Hebert from New Westminster. I teach English online to Japanese students, and I'm also a writer. I write flash fiction, short stories, and I'm currently working on a Japanese travelogue. Wonderful. Jen at Gordon House. Hi, everyone. I'm Jen, Gordon Neighborhood House. Uh, I am the project coordinator for the seniors content. Um, we're currently closed to the public, but are doing some outdoor activities. Uh, had the pleasure of working with Stuart. Hi, Stuart. Um, Hi. Our, aging, <laughs> our Aging with Pride event uh, this summer. So looking forward to this, the discussion today. And my coworker, Amanda, also on the line. I don't think she had her uh, speaker on, but um, we worked together just doing um, weekly prepared meal programs for Seniors in the West End, she is the chef, and uh, those get delivered every Friday. We actually made the news this week, <laughs> if you happen Wonderful. to catch that. <laughs> Thank you. And Amanda was with us last week demonstrating ways to be full of healthy foods. Uh, Amanda? Everyone. Oh, there's Amanda. Hi, Amanda. Stephanie's here, too. We are participating silently today. Thank you so much for having us. We are in um, kind of a time crunch. We're preparing a harvest bowl today, and I will make sure to share pictures with everyone if we're still online or with Char uh, Charlotte later on uh, so that everyone can take a look because our talk last week really inspired us and you know it's it's the season for harvesting so we went out we harvested and we're plating now so stay tuned for some pics and inspiration really soon okay that's yep. wonderful uh robin hello as charlotte said my name's robin i am a radio maker and uh arts facilitator my primary role with the podcast is to help mentor people with both technical and presentation skills. And uh, looking forward to the talk today. Vote. Get out and vote. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Elizabeth. Hello. My name is Elizabeth, and I'm with the, uh, in Los Angeles in the Agape Wise Ones. I'm one of the co-leads for that group, and we're at, uh, we're an over 50 group that is involved in, or very involved in whatever that we feel like being involved in. So that's where I am and who I am here. And Elizabeth is involved with the group of seniors that are doing voter education and promotion in LA. Yes, yeah. Yes. Okay, so at this point, just before I turn you over to our facilitators, Robin has a certificate, something that our podcasters are going to be receiving, and she's going to read what it will say. Yeah, so the certificate will say, this certificate recognizes the participation and invaluable contribution made by and it will have your name here, 
as a peer ambassador of the Powered by Age, Age-Friendly City podcast program sponsored by the 411 Senior Center Society and the City of Vancouver. Thank you for everything you have contributed to the project. You collaborated with others to overcome the technical challenges of meeting via Zoom and became an engaging audio content creator and podcaster. You increased your skill as you presented information, interviewed, asked questions, and provided feedback. You engaged in being mentored and mentoring others, helping to reduce the digital divide amongst older adults. Very good. Thank you. And so we need to make sure we have everyone's address because that will be coming to you through the mail, not as a digital download. <laughs> okay, so now at this time, I'm going to have uh, Gundren and Stuart make their presentations and they will invite you to comment as they would like. Okay, well, I understood from the messages I received that we were to discuss why to vote and how to vote. Um, and I'm going to start with the how because during the pandemic, things have become really quite strange and difficult. I think we already know that a very significant number of people have actually asked for mail ballots. Last election, that is in 2017, only 11,000 uh, people mailed in their ballots. This time around, I understand that it's creeping up towards 800,000. Um, and the critical piece of information about that is that if you're planning on voting by mail, it has to be received in Victoria by Elections BC, not a minute after 8 p.m. on Saturday, the 24th of October. If it's, if it's late, it won't be counted. So it's really important, I think, for the, anybody who's got a mail-in ballot to make sure that that mail-in ballot is filled out and put in the mail as soon as possible. Um, some people will have received mail-in ballots that don't actually show the names of the candidates. If they asked early enough, they would have not known who all the candidates were going to be for that particular uh, constituency. So if you've got a blank mail ballot, you ha actually have to write in the name of the candidate you wish to vote for or the name of the party you wish to support. Most of us, I think, have now received in the mail a sort of big postcard that says, you're a registered voter. This, these are your options for voting. They include a list of places where you can do an advance ballot. I believe if it's not starting today, then it may be starting on Saturday, but it's it's very soon and it's all of next week. So, you know, you, you needn't wait until the 24th to go to the polls. You can do it sooner. You can also vote at your district elections BC office. You have to look up where that is 
for me. I found it. I voted. I was early enough that I was given a ballot without any names on it, but I knew who I wished to support. And then, of course, there's general voting day on the 24th, and your postcard will tell you where you're supposed to go to vote. If you haven't received a postcard, that means that Elections BC does not have you registered at your current address. So if you don't get one and you want to vote, you really must be in touch with Elections BC to sort that out. The other thing that I just want to say about voting is that I am one of the people who has voted in every election that I've been eligible to vote in. So there was a gap when I was living in Canada, but not yet a citizen. I came from a family where my parents voted in every election. I happen to believe that it's important to vote because I believe we all have a right to say something about how we are governed. I also have a personal commitment, which is that everyone's entitled to my opinion. I also think it's important to vote because there are so many people in the world who do not have the right to try and influence the people who govern them. And I honestly think that we need to exercise our votes in order to make it clear that we as individuals have something to say about the way our lives are governed. So I want to encourage everyone to vote uh, and to do it as early as possible and efficiently as possible and safely as possible. Now, Gudrun. Well, you, you didn't leave much unsaid there. Um, I imagine that the people on this call are all people who understand that uh, that they or or at least voted in the past and uh, and probably because of the topic um, don't need to be encouraged to go and vote. Um, I think that uh, unless I'm making assumptions here that uh, that are incorrect, I don't see anybody shaking their head violently. Um, so there's no doubt about it in my mind that exercising our right to vote is particularly germane to to women. Uh, believe it or not, we haven't always had the right to vote. So it's uh, it's wonderful to be able to to do so. Now, of course, you know, people will say, well, with the right to vote, you also have the right not to vote. Well, I know that's an argument, but it doesn't hold water for me. We know that the people at the helm will control or or at least steer the ship of state in a way that we either agree with or or not, or or can have profound effects on, on us. And seniors have found that the effects that 50 years of neglect, at least 50 years of neglect has had on, on uh, seniors who live in residential care has been devastating. 80% of the deaths to do with, uh, as a result of COVID-19, uh, over 80% uh, were seniors living in residential care. So I, I remember we, we came to, to Vancouver area 
in about 1962. No, not about. It was in 1962. And because we were we were immigrants, my mother didn't speak English very well. So the place she worked in was something called a private hospital, which was a euphemism then for uh, for seniors care. She was able to work there for, this is in 62, she was able to work there for about two weeks before she ran away from that place. She couldn't work there because of how they treated old people. That didn't change over the years since. It's outrageous. There are many places that are well run and people who are working in them are, are, are careful and caring people. But there are too few of them, generally speaking, and I think the seniors advocate here in BC was able to point that out, is that there were not enough contact hours for these residents. Uh, and, and, and to our shame, we've let governments get away with that. And it wasn't, you know, it's, um, it, and it shouldn't have taken something like, like a virus or a pandemic that, make us, that made us see that. So also with that come decisions that are being made about the care, health care, for example. So one of them would be who gets to run these places, uh, how much people have to pay, who is there a subsidy or is it all paid, all those kinds of things. And so it is really difficult when you look at the platforms, and I've looked at all three of them now, the Liberals, the Greens, and the NDP, to see what they say about seniors' care, for example, or health care in general. And it's really hard to parse out what they really mean, because words are sort of vague and twisted. Or So one of the things that I think is important for us to do while we decide who we're going to vote for, unless you have already made up your minds, is to, to look at some track record if there is one. So we have a relatively large track record for uh, the previous government, the, the, the Liberal government, and we have a short one now, three-year one, for the NDP, and then we have uh, some indication about which way the Greens are leaning. And um, I think that every one of you can look at their platforms. They're on uh, the websites. And I know that you, uh, you're you not totally computer illiterate. I think you can get there. And um, and, and make a decision on the basis of, of some kind of facts as opposed to a weird conspiracy theories or... Uh, and, and there's so many of them. Good heavens. I don't know. Um, it's sometimes overwhelming to see the kinds of misinformation that's out there. So go to the horse's mouth if you can. Go to their websites. Have a look what they're saying and what they're proposing to do. And, and see whether or not they follow through on promises that they made last time. Good idea to do. Right? You know? Anyway, one of the things that... Uh, uh, Stuart was saying was uh, the business of and I, I sh the um, business of uh, voting in the um, elections BC uh, offices. You can bring your mail-in vote to their offices as well. You don't have to rely on Canada Post at this point if you're reluctant, if you worry about them being overwhelmed with, you know, something that looks like Christmas mail <laughs> mail volume. And it's wonderful to hear that almost 800,000 people have asked for mail-in ballots. I know I've sent mine back, and mine was blank, just like Stuart's was. Um, I was lucky I knew who the candidate was, because, you know, sometimes people, you can't tell because they haven't finished the process, or if they have, they have made it as simple as possible for us this year to vote. 
So when you're looking at doing it in person, chances are when I see the illustrations on the on the Elections BC work website, it's probably far more safe for or safer to to go and vote than it is for you to go grocery shopping. That's what it looks like. And I think that people are worried about this stuff and we should. We are all sort of in a stage where this disease can be devastating to us. Um, and and I think um, uh, to, to Elections BC's credit, they have done it uh, an incredible job to try and, and make it as easy as possible and as safe as possible for us. I would not hesitate to go and vote, but you know I'm going to be doing other things on that day. So I, uh, um, I, I thought I would do the, 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 the sending in of the ballots. Of course, the results, because there's so many people voting by mail, the results will not be in instantly. They will not be available on the day of voting. Like we used to have, you know, you have all these mm, pundits sitting around on TV screens and, uh, and listening to who, you know, who's, who's leading and who's confirmed and who isn't and who's... Anyway, um, we won't be having that kind of finality on, on October 24th. We, we will have to wait until they were able to finish counting the mail-in ballots and the absentee ballots. So it's an exciting time. I think that many of us have thought, what the heck, why are we doing that now? But, you know, that debate is gone. You know, the, the time's here. you got to do it. And uh, it would be not a good idea um, not to vote just as a protest. I, I think uh, making a decision is really important. Um, and I, I find it a privilege to be able to do so. Um, you know, women got the vote not so all that long ago. And um, my parents came from a country that if you told people your political affiliations, you could be in trouble, uh, depending on who was at the helm. That is not the case here. It's really simple. Nobody, you know, they may care how you vote, but they're not entitled to know. And uh, and you're safe as a result, you know. So in any event, I'm, um, I'm, I'm looking forward to the results. Um, I hope we don't have... Um, uh, some kind of weirdness that's going on down south, uh, <laughs> which is really, you know, where we're look we're really quite lucky uh, to be living here and um, and relatively safe in in BC. Just listen to what's happening in this in the rest of the other provinces. So, I'm um, I'm really chuffed about this. I'm really I don't like the idea of having to be home, but you know, it's um. It's getting easier all the time to stay at home and not to go out and, and socialize. Um, talk on the phone for hours, watch, you know, the Zoom, participate in that way. And uh, and I really appreciate this particular forum that gets people together to talk a little bit about, you know, some in, in the small p political realm, um, because so often people are, are not talking about it and that's a problem you know and you don't talk about religion don't talk about politics well you know i think we do need to discuss these things um and while this is a non-partisan um format um you know we all have our strongly held opinions no doubt and um <laughs> exercising our franchise is really important and i i know that uh, I, I would love to hear how many of you have already voted or, or are planning to do so by 
by next Wednesday because that's when the uh, advanced poll is uh, is also um, also finished. Okay. Speaking of thoughts, what are some of your thoughts or questions that you have to what either of our presenters have said? I'd like to add a couple of things that occurred to me when Gudrun was talking. One is that in addition to checking on what the parties are saying about services to seniors, a lot of the focus has been on long-term care, but they have also said some things about home care. And I'm one of the people who says, look, it's a very small proportion of seniors who actually end up in long-term care. Most of us stay at home. So what are the parties proposing to do to help us stay at home as long as we possibly can? So that's one issue. The other thing that, that occurred to me was to say that I'm not sure when, quite when, women got the vote in Canada, but I do know that women got the vote, then indigenous people got the vote, but Chinese Canadians did not get the vote until after the Second World War. Chinese Canadian men fought in that war, but were still not eligible to vote until sometime after the war when the law was changed. So I think I want to emphasize the value of having the right to vote. So, there you go. There is no doubt in my mind that the inequities that have been visited upon various groups of people are unconscionable, and I'm glad that we've sort of started to eliminate most of them. The problem for people in long-term care is that they generally vo they are voiceless, generally. They have no one looking out for them, or they have people who are looking after them, and, and that's all they are able to do because it's such a, such a concentrated work. It, it's almost a human rights issue. Um, I think when, when we allow people to be treated in that way, it's unconscionable. Uh, and I, th I think that there's no question that um, the movement has been towards better home care. But, you know, over the last 20 years, that's been whittled away by, by calling some things a medical necessity and something else just a housekeeping necessity. Well, if you have a filthy house, you're not going to do well health-wise. So um, th th that was something that has developed over you know, 20 years is that they've separated the, the things that people need in their homes. And, um, and sometimes homes are not safest places for people to be. You know, um, we are all probably blessed with having a partner or, or a situation that is good for us. Well, there are people who are living in situations that are not that good. So at home may be a good solution for most, but not for everyone. And um, I know last time I looked for, um, you know, we talk about seniors um, uh, abuse, seniors of people who've been abused by, by people in their lives, uh, n not strangers. And um, there were no places for women to go. There were two homes that they could go to, you know, um, if there were spaces. One of them was up in the valley and the other one was uh, in the other part of B.C., and there were absolutely none for men, 
for us to think that women are the only ones that are being abused is a mistake. Um, there are also men that get abused. And the shame that is attached to being abused is profound. So there are, so better at home may not be better. <laughs> so I, I just want to be really careful about that. And the other thing is that physically the place that you're, the home may be dangerous for people because it's not set up for a particular ability or or lack of, uh, you know, doors aren't wide enough, too many steps or whatever. So while I agree, and, you know, my mother's 96 and she's still at home and she drives, for heaven's sakes, I think that is not a necessarily a bad thing that people stay at home and, you know, do whatever they can to adapt for their abilities. But not everyone is able to do that. So, you know, better at home isn't always better. But I, I, I agree with you. We should be putting a focus on that stuff as well. And, and thanks for bringing that up, Stuart. That's really good. You know, at, a, at an auction, when you move, you, you bought it. So you see Chris moving. <laughs> what, what, what are your thoughts on these matters, Chris? Well, as you know, I usually have thoughts about most things. One of the things that's really clear to me is that a number of years ago, I was hired by whoever hires you to do these things to go to the different seniors facilities that to ensure that they were registered to vote, that they were going to vote, that kind of stuff. And I was impressed by the numbers of older adults who, who came to, to sign up and to register. More recently, um, because my partner was in, in a residential care facility, it is so clear to me that the population of people who are in residential care facilities do not have a voice because the admissions to residential care facilities has gotten the criteria has gotten so, so difficult because there just are not enough spaces. And these days with us living older, living longer and growing older, um, as we know, dementia and Alzheimer's is, is becoming a much more prevalent health issue for us. And people with, most people with dementia do need to be in a place that keeps them supported and safe and as Gudrun said we've seen how we've seen how that has not been working and primarily from my experience it's not because uh, not because most of the workers don't care I mean my experience is that they care a lot the problem is they're not sufficiently funded there are not enough workers on staff um, I found myself a number of times, for example, in the evening, there were only two workers on staff on the floor that Bridget was on. And they, they would go off together to help people get ready for bed because sometimes they weren't able to do it um, alone as one person. And there was nobody left in the common area so that all the people in the common area had no visible support. And I found myself often being someone who um, would get up and, and prevent someone or try to not try to stop someone from getting out of their wheelchair, things like that. So 
So my experience over time has been there's a huge, big change in residential care and a huge, big change because we're living longer than our needs are becoming greater um, as we live longer. And I don't think the system, the system has not caught up with that. And as Goodwin said, that whole piece about there used to be home support workers one and home support workers two. Home support workers, too, would do your laundry and clean your kitchen and stuff like that. But that no longer exists. Someone comes in. I have a friend right now who's living alone who has Alzheimer's. The worker comes in, makes sure she takes her pills, maybe gives her something to eat, and then says bye-bye. There's not time for conversation or there, there's no, no support that goes beyond making sure you're taking your meds. So uh, I think whether you're looking at the services that are provided for older adults, whether you're looking at home or whether you're looking in terms of residential care, both of those services are totally inadequate for today's realities. Yeah, that's what I have to say. You're, you're, so, you're so right, Chris. One of the things that I was heartened about was that the minute the virus thing hit, uh, the current government moved to ensure that the workers didn't have to go from one facility to another in order to make a living. Yeah. And that was really, really important. The other thing is just before that hit, there was a decision to fund more hours for people who were contracted to do the work. Like in, in private facilities, for example, my sister works in one in Chilliwack and, you know, she said 95 percent of the occupants they are subsidized to some degree or another, even though it's a private facility. So, you know, to say private owned, it's still a provincial responsibility to make sure that whatever money is being paid is going to be going towards the care of the individual. So early on, before the, uh, the, um, the virus hit, there was a decision to bring all of those workers under the umbrella of the, um, the provincial authorities, the health authorities, to great hue and cry from the people who own these facilities mm -hmm. privately. You know, it's, and, and they purported to speak for seniors, and it was quite outrageous that they did that. But certainly there was a move towards making sure that there was more than three hours worth of contact time happening for in individuals. Now that, that time is not enough, obviously, it's not enough. I think we heard Pat Armstrong, uh, who did a long longitudinal study way back, uh, 10 years in, in Ontario saying that, you know, at least four hours is a minimum it's got to be more than four hours. So in any way, we're inching forward something that is a lot better. And I think we were pretty lucky to have someone like um, the seniors advocate do a study about um, the conditions. Before she did that, um, and there's something that, that the Liberal government did right, they went with one of the... Um, one of the few recommendations from the ombudsperson's report that talked about um, 
uh, re uh, care, seniors care uh, in 2012. There was a really good, um, and they recommended that there be a seniors advocate. And that liberal, that's, that's one of the things that they did. They appointed one. And it's always nice to be able to give credit where it's due. But there was only seven other ones that they instituted out of, I don't know, 176 or something. Anyway, regardless, um, as a result of having reports from the seniors advocate, Isabel McKenzie, I think you've all probably heard from her about her or whatever, um, they were able to show that while some of the private um, facilities uh, received the funding for what they call each bed, not individuals, of course, you know, each bed, um, they cut back, many of them had cut back in staffing and put the money towards something else. So it wasn't spent on seniors care particularly. So early on, the Minister of Health, uh, Adrian Dix, had, had decided that that had to change. Now, you know, by the time the COVID hit, uh, they hadn't quite gotten around to all of it yet, but certainly uh, that was a hopeful sign. And, uh, and I was pleased about that. I was able to say that to him as well. I think that uh, so often we look at the optimum thing that we want, the thing that, you know, will fix it all. But, you know, for seniors care or health care, there isn't one it, there isn't the magic wand and it takes slogging right you know you know with the addiction stuff i mean it takes forever to get stuff going because there's so many misconceptions or so many different threads to put together into a rope and um and i think well well i i will from time to time talk about stuff and saying look seniors need to be impatient um for example we get a, a a swimming pool or a new a new community center here in marple where i live well they've been talking about that for 25 years and every time i have to talk about it i say look i want to see one before i die you know i'm in my seven seventh decade i want to see it before i die and uh, and in so many ways seniors need to be more assertive about what we need like, it's self-interest, for heaven's sakes. And when there is someone like Joel, for example, who's obviously not a senior, we have to make sure he remembers he's a senior in training, as is Robin and, you know, other people who I don't see. <laughs> You're seniors in training, you know? That it, it'd be stupid not to worry about the stuff because uh -huh. hopefully you're going to get old. We want everyone to get old, healthily old, but, you know, we all want to get there. Anyway, that's my favorite soapbox. <laughs> that leads to a question I had within the the how category, because we had one uh, podcast discussion around advocacy. But we right now, when people go to look at the people's platform, it's already been made up. But what are ways that people can get involved in proposing bills or get involved with shaping the platform before it gets to election time? How can older people get involved? One of the ways, of course, is to join a political party, the political party that you favor, and try and be active and influential in that party. The party platform is not created by people who are not members and supporters of a particular party. So it's done from inside. The other way, though, is for those of us 
who choose not to be members of political parties to be making sure that we're expressing our opinions publicly. Letters to the editor, letters to your MLA or MP, if it's federal matter, those sorts of things. Every year, the provincial government has a committee that goes around the province taking submissions on potential budget issues. I decided this year that I was going to submit a something in writing, and I focused on the issues related to seniors, including one that finally hit the news this week, which is that really there is no place in the current structure of the provincial government that actually keeps a close focus on the range of seniors' issues. Mm-hmm. In the past, we've had things like a ministry of women's issues, so on and so forth. Right now, we're an addendum to the health ministry and to some extent to transportation. But if you think about the Ministry of Children and Families, seniors only exist in that ministry if they're willing to look after their grandchildren. Wow. We're not seen as members of the families, except in those circumstances. So there is no real strong focus on the full range of interests of seniors widely expressed and I wanted to advocate for something like that and I did it wasn't adopted by the committee but I will push again next time one of the things that happened when uh, the ombudsperson recommended that uh, there be a seniors advocate at Costco, the Council of Senior Citizens Organizations of BC pushed for an independent person to be there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, we were not the only ones. I think there were other people who were doing that as well. Um, Costco is a, is a, an umbrella group of seniors um, organizations, and many of them were pushing for a, an independent seniors advocate. In the meantime, that's not something that that liberal government uh, wanted to adopt, and they didn't. Uh, but they did. Ad- they did um, appoint Isabel McKenzie, and um, as jaundiced or as cynical as we were, <laughs> uh, it was. She has been able to produce reports about transportation, about housing, about income, about health, all the factors that. Of, of life that would concern us and has produced reports on which governments have been able to to base some activity. Did they go far enough? You know, yes, she made some recommendations. Uh, did they have to adopt? No, they didn't have to adopt them. But but I think that they, they, the, the proof was that we're not totally left out of the picture. There, there is some an office that is doing some of that work. So that I think that's one of the reasons why we haven't been as vociferous as we could have been about having a ministry of uh, of seniors, because we've had the experience of ministers of seniors at the federal level, and they've been, I want to be rude, but I won't. They've been useless. They've been more than useless. 
more than useless. We had one of the one of the senior ministers right in the Richmond riding. She wouldn't even come and talk to the national seniors organization. So, and and had nothing but platitudes. Or when she did come one year, she would she would not take questions. She would just talk about what she wanted to talk about, and she was not going to engage with anyone. So that that was. Uh, not a very good experience. Now there was somebody else who was a little better, but you know it's uh, it just because just to have a just to have a ministry doesn't mean you're going to get um, the kind of service or the kind of um, attention that uh, that 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 we require. And um, you know, being an advocate through your seniors organizations like 411, for example or Costco or whoever, or, or through um, belonging to BC Health Coalition or any of those sorts of things, being an advocate for ourselves is really a good idea. And uh, yes, if, you know, I don't know, joining yet another group is not something I want to do, but, you know, looking at, looking at who's going to do the most effective job for me is is a is a good measuring tool right it may be useful for you to to work through 411 senior center for example and they've done some really good work um, and and admirable stuff uh, in representing seniors in, in the lower mainland or mostly vancouver of course but um uh, that there are limits to what people can do especially if they're volunteer organizations so you know check out what what will work for you, and uh, and if health is your issue, maybe joining the BC Health Coalition is a good idea. I don't know. Jin, are you are you there? I was going to ask um, in their fellowship house in the the meals that they have. Sometimes they have group contacts, and just wondering uh, to what extent. We have to, as baby boomers, lace up our shoes. I was telling someone it's like the, a basketball game and we're watching life go by, but now we have to lace up our shoes and get back out on the court because other people are making decisions about the money and making decisions about programs and these things that we have skills in, speaking and writing and talking and writing letters that we you know, need to make ourselves more visible because without our visibility, what do you think happens? We're invisible. <laughs> <laughs> you have, you uh, said, holding people accountable to coming to meetings, or holding people accounting to uh, accountable to coming to forums where people are discussing what's needed. Because most of the people in the group have, at some point, paid taxes, have worked and done things that have helped build the country. The same thing is true south of the border. You know. Uh, in the States, many people worked from their youth up through and are still working as, as uh, older people, but yet not represented in the, the policy. So I think, uh, as Neil said, he's claiming 47. I'm claiming the spirit of 46, which is the year I was born. But we have to, you know, get back out there on the court and just uh, see that things get moved from a letter going into someone to that letter being a part of a, a bill. Could you could tell a little bit about this process of, of uh, bills having to be read or getting to a level where they're read and voted on? I, I can... I, 
and I'm going to have to make this quick because I have to leave and prepare for my next Zoom meeting. Um, Zooming along. <laughs> yeah, yes. So, but the process of something becoming a bill, first of all, it has to be something that attracts the attention of the government of the day. At that point, uh, they, if they intend to do something, uh, they then have to prepare the legislation. Whilst it is being prepared, they may consult, but they are not, they don't tell you precisely what's going to be in it. And then it goes through a process in the legislature of being introduced, uh, being read a first time, then it goes into what is called a committee stage, uh, where it is debated uh, and can be debated clause by clause. Uh, that, at that point, amendments can be proposed and that sort of thing. And then it goes to a final reading where the legislature votes on it, yay or nay. So the key places for influencing this process are, first of all, getting the government to sit up and pay attention to whatever the issue is, to be available, perhaps insist on being consulted, and then to advise MLAs of all parties of any concerns we have at the point that the bill is introduced. So there are a number of ways you can influence it, but it's all wrapped up in a fairly technical process. The other thing that I should observe is that if there is to be a piece of legislation, let's say introduced next April or May, the government is usually working on it by August and September of the previous year, because it's got to go through all of the legal drafting and checking whether it offends other parts of le the legislation and all of that sort of stuff. So it's a lengthy process, but there are ways of getting a foot in the door. And at that point, I'm going to leave and wish you all well and happy voting. Good to meet you again, Stuart. Thanks, Good Stuart. to see you all. Yeah, thank you for sharing. And I think that Amanda has a picture for us for, of that harvest bowl that she's working on. Hi, everyone. I just shared with Charlotte. I hope it inspires you guys as well. We've got to keep our bellies full so we can <laughs> go out and vote, everyone. You know? One of the things that I, while we're waiting, that I wanted to add is that I, I think that we can do what we can do individually, but I really do think that, um, and my own experience is that change, br we bring about change when, when we get together, um, that it's groups or organizations. So that, from my experience, is probably 
has been more productive than actually being a member of a political party. I'm not saying don't be a member of a political party, but I think the organizing is, is, is so important because, uh, I mean, for example, there was something at Britannia that in, in the redesign that um, the older adult group, including me, was not happy about. And so we all got together and we started doing all kinds of things and we ended up getting them to change what they, the direction they were actually moving in. So there is power um, in, in, in groups of people coming together. The, the, one, the one thing that Stuart was saying was that it's one thing to talk about influencing legislation, but it may well start with talking with your neighbor to talk about what is important to you or what the kinds of questions you might have and, and sort of see what sort of support there is for for your perspective. And if you, if you know, one of the things that we did at City Hall, of course, was in, with the advisory committee is to look at the kinds of things that would be useful for a larger group. But, you know, we brought our individual experiences and often that's where the, the story starts and it's much easier to influence or find other people who may have more influence or group people together for more influence um, that way. It's, mm -hmm. I know I live in a housing co-op and it's very easy to talk to my neighbors and they, you know, they know my soapboxes by now, so I don't have to say <laughs> a lot, but, and I've lived here for almost 40 years. So it's, um, it's one of those those things we forget that the power of one is very important, but you know, making sure that we group together is 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 good as well, and uh, and and essential. And there is a wonderful little book that I really enjoyed, and you can find it on on the internet, and you don't have to buy it, but you can buy, get it in the public library. It's called The Troublemakers Tea Party. And it's really quite fun. Um, or different kinds of activities that people have done in either protest or in, in drawing attention to an issue. And, uh, and, and it's not prescriptive. It just shows that ingenuity, you know, thinking outside the box may well be our salvation, right? Um, so we don't have to always do what we do. We don't have to do petitions all the time, although they work too. But or writing letters to the editor, that works too. But it's like, there may be other things that we can do. For example, there are not very many public toilets. And I'm saying that sooner or later, seniors need to perhaps don oversized diapers over their clothing and have a protest happening. Now, that would be something funny, right? And people go like, really? But I don't know. I mean, so far, I, I know, Chris, uh, there's been a huge hue and cry by all kinds of people who are saying, oh, you know, we need more public toilets. Right? And, you know, what, what use is it to have a functioning transportation system if well, you cannot go out because you don't know where the next toilet is? Yeah. And it's not just women, it's men too. Men have, you know, the, those, those prostate things that give them trouble, right? So it's like finding something that is going to be um, uh, rather than just griping to your dog is, uh, you know, find um, compatible people and, and try and, uh, and get that, um, that dealt with. 
Amanda has pictured, put a, shared with us, um, it's being shared through Robin's screen, but this picture of a delectable dish, because food is also one of the ways that people get together, even if it's just one person in our small circles that we're encouraged to meet in. Um, talking around food is a good way to uh, think about creative things, creative protests like those oversized diapers, but also uh, to make comments about the food. Food is becoming a, a, a problem for seniors with uh, not being able to get it home from the grocery store or the people not putting it into smaller packages. There's a discount on the huge club size, but some people need to have a discount on the smaller portions. So I think that, uh, Amanda, are you there? Can you describe what this is? Yes, I can describe but what it is. So we are looking at some, everything was roasted except for the greens. So we have roasted carrots with a little bit balsamic vinegar, and then roasted yams, roasted red cabbage, roasted kabocha squash, roasted fennel, daikon, and summer squashes. Those were roasted together and roasted bell peppers. On the bottom of everything is a little bit of quinoa, just plain quinoa cooked. And the greens are a mix of mustard tops that are both red and green. And they were just quickly wilted with some garlic. And the garlic got the pink tint. That's it. Oh, corn. Sorry, I forgot the corn. How could I? <laughs> and so these are among the kinds of dishes that you're making for seniors that get their meals at at home. Yes. Home. Yes. So this is the harvest bowl they will be receiving. Um, this is an example of a harvest bowl they will be receiving tomorrow um, through our Better at Home program, uh, which we perform funded by United Way of the Lower Mainland and in partnership with the West End Seniors Network of Vancouver. Um, I would also like to add that this is a vegan meal. There is also a vegan dressing that um, we made with elements such as capers, a little bit of oil, a little bit of the caper water, a little bit of the water in which we cooked the corn. There is no salt added. We use just the capers for the, the saltiness and a little bit mustard into it as well. And I, I just add this because it's vegan, it's delicious, and it's extremely nutritious and proteic. I think we are totally entitled to eat meat as humans. You know, we it, it's one of the things that got us up to here. But as per educational and, you know, social purposes, thinking of the future, we like to offer plant-based meals in a dignified way too. I think it's it's important to offer people choice. And we were just talking about it, as you said, Charlotte, you know, we get huge discounts on, you know, <laughs> huge <laughs> bags of things. But what about the the what about the waste, right? What about yeah. having access being being um, allowed to access, you know, foods and, and different ingredients in a dignified way that doesn't require either that you have waste later on or you know that you have to sacrifice um, financially something else in order to to get that on your plate so 
lots of food for thought in my opinion you know i'm always interested in discussing food stephanie as well we're all very keen to to discussing this and aging with with healthy foods right well it it affects us absolutely affects us all especially seniors well, you know, as Stuart was talking about reports and numbers, I think that it's a beautiful example of something that you're preparing that obviously is accepted by seniors. I'm a nutritionist and sometimes have advocated for changes in the budgets available to seniors and people have said, oh, they won't eat those plants or, oh, you know, they have so many excuses. And, and here's a beautiful example of a variety of plants and grains that uh, you're including in your program. So... I think those pictures and people's testimony will help as you know, we're advocating for increases in the money people have to spend on food. Absolutely, Charlotte. I'm there with you. And we also, well, I also personally believe that we have to keep an eye on food prices. Well, we always keep an eye on food prices, I assume, as in we people. But with the COVID situation and the whole year, we are, you know, we're, we're in the middle of October, so the year has passed. You know, it's it's closing in. And I think that as we move into fall and winter seasons, we'll have some heavy price fluctuation on some items. And that's a cause for concern because that's when people need food the most, right? So I've been observing a lot of um, other organizations mentioning and asking uh, their communities to come out and help specifically now that we're moving into winter season because that's when it gets harder for everyone and all the all the joy and all the the support everyone has uh, shown during summer must be like bulked up and put out that's now is the time when we we all really need to get together because we can only get warm if we're together no one survives winter alone so that's that. That's my last saying. Thank you, everyone. Well, thank you for sharing. And we will definitely look for the recipe and to have you back where you can demonstrate how to make that dish. I want to say as, a, as someone who's older, all my life, what the vegetables that were given to me were boiled or something done on top of the stove, right? And it's only more recently that I've discovered this roasting vegetables. And so I'm now in this phase where almost every night I have roasted Brussels sprouts for supper because they're so much more tasty with a little bit of balsamic vinegar than they are when they're boiled. But I didn't learn that until a few years ago. It's true. So you can be advocates for change. As I said, lacing up your shoes and getting back out there telling people, hey, <laughs> you don't have to have, but because some people, because they did have mushy, overcooked vegetables, they don't like vegetables or won't try them. So it's great having these pictures and, um, you know, tips that we could share. Maybe we'll have more and more demonstrations of things people are using and discovering with food, but also seeing where we can advocate for changes because, uh, the, the the piece of legislation, I think um, the the alliance of senior centers have written about an increase in the uh, old age security and in, increase in the, the money that people have. Could you eliminate a little bit more about what that increase is? 
I'm not sure uh, what what increase we're talking about. The business of um, of uh, the old age um, security payments, the OAS, uh, that only goes up by uh, by um, cost of living, and and that's measuring a basket that none of us you know, use. Um, <laughs> Chris is laughing. Um, but I think uh, there, there, um, there is going to be an increase after you're 75, which is only $100 a month, I believe. Or temper- I forget now exactly the exact amount because I, wasn't, I, I thought it was dreadful that people had to wait until they're 75 before they get a, a better pension uh, benefit, the, and the old age pension is the one that um, that everyone is entitled to. But it depends on how much money you report in your income tax. It may be clawed back if you make a certain amount of money. So um, the then there's the Canada Pension Plan, which is the other part, uh, but that's tied to to employment, so that you pay a a, a premium to the federal government, um, that Canada Pension Plan uh, uh, fund. Um, f- and and right now, I think the most that you can, I forget what the maximum is that you pay, but the most that most people would get out of it would be $650 a month, which is not an awful lot. Now you add that to your old age pension and maybe it's okay if you don't live in Vancouver or in a large metropolitan area, but you may be entitled to the um, the supplement, um, guaranteed and guaranteed income supplement, GIS, yeah. yeah. right? But but you have to be really poor to get that. So and and then a whole bunch of other things get pieced together from the provincial government to add to that. And I think that there is a seniors um, benefit that used to be something like. <laughs> terrible $45 a month just awful I think they've 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 upped that and I cannot tell you um, um, Linda Forsyth isn't sitting beside me she usually has those figures right in her fingertips Uh, so I that there is going to be an increase in that but you have to be almost abjectly poor before you get those kinds of things and uh, and and there should be you know something that is a livable income period you know, people shouldn't have to worry about whether or not um, they they have to apply for something in order to get it, or or know that they have to file an income tax when they figure they don't make enough money anyway and don't file income tax. And for many of the things, you don't get the benefit if you don't file income tax. So it's it, it that sort of um, we used to call it dog's breakfast, but I you know that's sort of trite. Um, but it, it's such a disjointed thing is that unless you are in the know or have someone who can tell you. To you try this did you look at that and you know make sure you apply for that and you know it's if it's safer for housing like i don't know if people here know about safer you know you you can get some some relief for housing um but how would you know about that or the um if you own a home that if you're over 55 you can apply to defer your 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 real um your property taxes how, how do people know that um and and what are what do you need to you know how do you qualify you have to own at least 25 percent of your house it can't be in anyway and right now i think that particular it that's one of the best deals if you have a house and you're over 55 um 
obviously I'm not one of those, but you know, if you are, you can you can apply for uh, for relief and and a deferral. Um, it, it gets done once a year, and right now the rate that the government charges interest is 0.45 percent. It used to be mm-hmm. zero. It used to be one percent, and it's simple interest. It doesn't compound. Like where can you get that kind of money? You can fix your roof, maybe. You know, when you defer your taxes in that way, your your property tax. So, and then you get people saying, "Oh, you know, but I want to leave it to my kids." And you go like, "No, no, 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 no. That is your house. You need to have it safe around you. And you know, for as long as you can, you ought to get that benefit. And the only time that the government says the money is due is when it changes owners. So that if you move." Then it becomes due, but it'll never be the value of the property because you, you, we all know how sky high that is, and the 0.45 percent is nothing. Compared, you know, it's not going to diminish whatever equity you have. So, anyway, but so I'm just talking. I'm just using that as an example. So people don't know this stuff. How how do you take it? How do you how do you make use of it? You know, it's there for you, but how do you know? It's crazy. So that's one of the great things about our podcast. At different weeks, we've been able to talk about different things. And there are, there is a lot of paperwork involved with some things. But as you said, talking to a neighbor, then talking and inviting other people to come onto our podcast, um, and then sharing the information that we that we learn. So I want to thank you so much for coming today for enlightening us and inspiring us. And everybody, get ready to vote. So we will see you again next week at Powered by Age, an age-friendly city podcast where we talk about issues that will make Vancouver and other cities really age-friendly. Thank you for this opportunity. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye, all.